Hello, my name is Garrett Bray of the Bard's Archive, a YouTube channel devoted to conversing with people who have lived through history and talking with historians who study it, all to help preserve better. I'd like to say to all of you audio pongers, as Mark describes you, uh, thank you for taking the time to watching this. Make sure to like, share, and subscribe uh, to Audio Pong. And if you're interested in Bard's Archive, uh, also as well. I'd like to say thank you to Mark and Zach who reached out and made this interview happen. to audio pong what's going on mark what's up dude not much you know just trying to get over the sickness but you know yeah, we're all sick in this house man man it is Are you, down with the sickness? <laughs> <laughs> you may hear uh, an extra voice or see another face that there is garrett prey hey guys um, thanks for having me on yeah no thanks for coming on yeah so what is your your main profession you my do? main profession is film film very yeah. nice yeah. Um, it, what do you what do you do in your film? What what kind of like uh, film do you do mostly? Um, so I've done a wide span of things, but right now I'm doing primarily documentary work. And I started up a YouTube channel called Bard's Archive, which is all history interviews and sight walking and talking to historians. So I can try and like document um, society's elders before they pass, so we can get like a little glimpse into the future and that, or not the future, the past. And <laughs> well, I think you can look the future by looking at the past, right? Because history, yeah, exactly. Repeat itself. Yeah. Well, uh, um, fortunately, when you study history, you find that there's a lot of history repeating itself. Oh, that's what bothers me the most, particularly up at like, night. Yeah, particularly yeah. negative history too, not necessarily positive stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, unfortunately, history is filled with a lot of a lot of dark shit in it. So. Hopefully one day we can learn enough from our past to not keep continuing it. Are you finding, so that, I actually love the idea. We've actually talked about this before, about interviewing old people or even going to like a, you know, an old timers community, as I call it, and just talking with the people there to hear their stories. Like, even if it was bullshit, you know, it might still be interesting. What do you find? If you, are you running into that? A lot of dark stories, a lot of like dark past um, with the people you interview? Um, I haven't quite gotten there yet where I've talked to somebody who's got a, a bad story or something really dark that's happened to them specifically uh, with the archive. With my documentaries, I've talked about some really unpleasant stuff with people. Uh, for a couple of years, I'm doing a documentary on parapsychology. Um, and I've talked to a number of veterans. Uh, one uh, who was a teacher of mine, his name was Doug Anderson. And he was a Vietnam army medic uh, on the battlefield. So mm. he told <laughs> he told some pretty colorful stories when I interviewed him. I'm sure him. he's got stories, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, and then afterwards, um, he went to, uh, he went back, he went, no, he went to New York, uh, used the GI Bill to go to school. And um, that was really the beginning of his problems. And so he spent a good chunk of his life pretty much getting drunk or high every day. Um, 
and he had he specifically described having a particular issue with hallucinations with shadows he'd always see dead people or shadows would take the shape of somebody who was dead oh i can relate to that yeah that was something that haunted him for a very long time um and it was something i don't know if some of these people are still alive but he was talking about also some of the Viet Cong when I had class with him and uh, uh, these people um, literally would get so drunk um, and they were such alcoholics to the point of which uh, they could stand up straight but when they would get back on their motorcycle or their bike that they drove to the VA event with uh, they'd be going back almost falling over the whole time driving home so have you talked to a lot of people with like PTSD? Because I know also before we go, before we go, before you answer that, I just want to make sure it's the Bard's archive and it's on yeah. YouTube, correct? Yes. Yep. I know, I know, but I just want to make sure anybody listening or watching <laughs> can check yeah. you out over there. So yeah, um, no, thank you. Yeah. So do you, so is that, do you feel like you've been drawn to that or has that just been the type of people that you've been talking to or at least with the documentaries? Um, with the document, I mean, funny enough with that documentary, it started out as something completely different. Um, I had one person in particular, I'm not going to go into any details on the person because I don't think, uh, this is somebody that wants to have any sort of involvement with a project like this. Um, even though they could use the help and, um, uh, so then eventually it turned into this idea of like, well, why don't I just, you know, talk to people and interview them on this really complicated subject and talk to them about the complexity of it. And so it grew from there and it's still going on. Um, I've got a number of interviews on the archive. Part of the documentary went up a couple minutes from two interviews, uh, which was my video on the incident at Exeter. Uh, both these people were not veterans. Um, Tom Muscarello and George Dufour, they were just talking about the incident at Exeter. Um, but I... The incident, you mean, incident where Exeter is the town? Yeah, the, so the incident was is September 3rd in 1965, uh, Exeter, New Hampshire. There was a guy going home. Uh, he was 18. His name was Norman Muscarello. And he was hitchhiking. He sold his car. He was got drafted. He's going to go to Vietnam. And funny enough, he was also a Navy medic. Um, and he was <clears throat> he was coming home from Amesbury, Massachusetts, visiting a girlfriend. And he saw something uh, rise up from the trees. I described it as a big spherical red light. It scared the hell out of him. And he was. At first, he tried to get into a house, into a farmhouse, and he's knocking on the door. Um, and so it's the middle of the night. You're going to wake somebody up, and then they have to get over to the door. So when nobody answered, he ran over and hid behind this rock wall. And um, a cop who was on duty at the time, um, Dave Hunt, he drove, he was driving by um, back towards town and saw Norman. And whatever the object is that he saw was gone at that point. Dave got out, went up to Norman, said, hey, why are you scared? Norman was hysterical. He took Norman back to the police station in the center of town, which is now the town hall, where the festival every year for the incident occurs. 
Oh, there's a uh, whole festival around it. Yeah. The uh, New Hampshire UFO Fest or the Exeter UFO. No, it's not that. It's the Exeter UFO Fest now. Oh, no shit. Yeah. And um, and uh, funny enough, Tom Moscarello still lives there to this day. Um, and George. And uh, so he, he drove back and then they only had two officers per shift at the time. Um, so, uh, Gene Bertrand, the second officer on duty answered a panic call on route one, uh, from some old woman who saw what she described as the same thing as Norman that scared the hell out of her. And after he answered that call and came back to the station and he was hearing Norman's story, which was similar to this old woman's story. Uh, he said to Dave, Hey, maybe let's take Norman and go back. And they went back and they described something rose up from the trees. They thought it was going to crash and then it flew off. Even though the myth is it flew up, uh, Gene shot at it, which never happened on instinct. He grabs his gun <laughs> and when he grabbed it, realized, Oh, wait a minute. There's nothing I can do against this. This is massive. Um, <laughs> that's kind of hilarious. Yeah. Like, it's like, it's like, what is the thought process there? Like, oh, well, it's not human. And, uh, the, I mean, really, you know what I mean? Like, I'll just shoot it. Screw it. Uh, maybe nothing will happen, but I'll just shoot yeah, at it. Screw it. Shoot that You're thing. Be pretty scared. Yeah. yeah. So, um, Gene and Dave, it was actually kind of funny because I thought they would have like been completely freaked out with the report. They went back, gave the report. Um, as far as I know, I think they only talked to the police about it. Um, and it got out and September 9th is when the paper was ran. And then afterwards it blew up at that point. And this was four years after the Betty and Barney Hill incident. Okay. I was, okay. Yeah. Cause you did mention this was like around the time of uh, the Vietnam war, right? Yeah. So this is going back quite a bit. Yeah. Peace so, uh, little, little, little Exeter, little Exeter is not safe. Well, I don't know if it's little, but I guess it's not safe. Uh, <laughs> Nowadays, it's the size of a small city. But after the report, what kind of what did they think it was? Like, did they think it was like enemy, like forces, maybe, or did they think it was like like what was what was like the investigation process like for that? There wasn't really much of an investigation process. The reason why the incident was so big was because like every major news outlet got hold of it and wanted it was showing up at Exeter. (laughs) Other than that, it. Really, I mean, Gene and Dave were both very credible cops. They were formerly in the Air Force, so they knew a lot about aviation. Um, and uh, Gene was a very respectable person. He's a very social guy. He went around and talked to a lot of people. Um, Dave, he was not a troublemaker, but he was a little more reserved and kept to himself. Um, so that has fueled a lot of the credibility to both of them. They, they weren't bad cops. Uh, they never got in any trouble. Um, but it was really how it got out to the media and how it blew up. Um, a lot of people have investigated it, which is part of the reason why it's such a legendary case now in ufology. So... Um, there was a lot also surrounding it. I've not seen any 
officialized papers or reports for it, but there's a number of people that swear by it that there are documentation that at Pease Air Force Base, which was a few miles up the road uh, in uh, the Greenland Portsmouth area, um, that there was a radar operator that picked it up and there was a guard on post. And so this is wartime. You don't abandon your post or otherwise you're committing treason. And he ran off, abandoned posts, scared the shit out of him. And he ran away from that. Um, so that was, you, there was a number. Are you familiar with like, like Bob Lazar and his story? So it sounds like yeah. you, you've been, it sounds almost like you study this, like you like, uh, um, <laughs> Yeah, you, well, you started off with para, what, what para, did you say parapsychology or just paranormal activity in general? Do you, do you put that together with UFO sightings? Do you think they're one thing? Do you think it's like a metaphysical, or is it is UFOs more of like an actual, you know, like something UFOs? Can... UFOs are kind of funny. I've studied paranormal my whole life. It's it, it's always been like a recreational activity, is just to look at stuff. Mm. Like when I was a little kid, I looked at like haunted house books and. Um, I was also a weirdo. I didn't watch cartoons. I'd watch like haunted New England documentaries and uh, ghost hunters and stuff like that. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, there's um, there's some very interesting stuff that surrounds UFOs, like especially now in 2019. The yeah. government has confirmed they're looking into UFOs. They have a confirmed department. They have. Uh, public hearings every once in a while for it. In May this year, there was a public hearing that they held. Um, and uh, UFOs are interesting too, because there's a lot of people that tie these very weird mythos to them, these very weird beliefs. Mm -hmm. um, there's a spiritualism uh, that got tied into it. And that mostly got kicked off because of this one guy, Ray Hernandez, produced this study called Beyond UFO. And he's somebody who's convinced that um, UFOs, when you're abducted, it enhances your life and turns you into a mystic, um, which I will firmly argue against. Uh, I've met <laughs> a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. I've met a lot of people who uh, have had an experience and they wish they hadn't. Um, they they're still bothered, even if it was just seeing something. There's a bit. There's someone else I've interviewed for this documentary. Uh, his name's Peter Robbins, and he holds a podcast. Meanwhile, here on Earth, and he was he and his sister just saw a UFO, and they were just traumatized permanently. By what it. do you think? What's traumatizing about seeing a UFO? Um. I, I think it depends really on the person. I don't think there's some people like me who can handle probably seeing a UFO. I've never seen one um, because my immediate reaction is, is this a threat? Is this coming after me where there might be other people who could be more sensitive and from seeing it will question uh, if they're sane or not. And okay. So I, I really, I would say that depends on the person. Peter said uh, it was impossible to comprehend for he and his sister. And they were fine up until about their 20s. And there's an interview with his sister done by Richard Dolan. Um, 
And uh, for for Peter and her, it was just like, this is impossible to look at. I, I can't comprehend that this is real. Why is this happening? Why am I looking at this? So kind of like a, almost like a biblical experience. Is what yeah. that like. Well, like, you know, be not afraid, like wheels within wheels, you know, angel type stuff. Well, yeah. People, yeah, go ahead. With your own personal beliefs, do you think we've been visited by aliens before? Like, what has the evidence shown you that you've seen? Um, I haven't seen, I, I'm like a see it to believe it myself kind of person. So, like, if you watch Ancient Aliens, there's a lot of, they're, they're getting into a lot of science now in these later seasons. Where before it was just really goofy and it was just mm. consistently seeing Giorgio Suclis or David Childress saying in a really goofy way, it has to be Ancient Aliens. Yeah, Aliens. Um, or D David Childress, I love that guy. He's like, it has to be ancient aliens. Um, so many, yeah. only, let's just answer all the questions with, yeah, one word. Yeah, with that. And so now they're actually getting into legitimate uh, science. So they're pulling out artifacts and they're examining it. Or Giorgio is at Pumapunku and sticks a compass on one of the stones, on one of the bricks, and somehow there's a certain magnetic property to it that causes uh, the compass to go haywire. And it just mm. spins nonstop. And this is a guy who's got like a PhD in alkaline metals. And when he's asked, do you know why it's doing this? And he sits there and just shrugs. And he goes, I don't know. Um, or now they kind of have like a round, round table discussion. And... Uh, there was one episode, I think it was the episode with William Shatner in it. And they're all sitting and they actually start to have a little bit of an argument um, over a couple of things. And he and Travis were going at it. And then uh, he kind of ends that bit of the conversation with saying, it's like, it doesn't matter, you know, really if aliens made it or not, it's lost engineering, it's lost technology. And today we can't recreate this stuff. Well, I would love it's fun. William Shatner and Dan Aykroyd. It's maybe they're too old now, but they should have done like a podcast on just on UFOs and aliens because those two guys they love Are that stuff. Great, you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. And on their interview, that's all they want to talk about yeah. is crystal skulls and ancient aliens <laughs> and stuff like that. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, but to uh, answer your question quickly, Zach, um, I haven't seen evidence that says we've been visited or evidence that convinces me that we've been visited. Okay. There's weird shit out there. There's a lot of weird stuff. There was one episode. Yeah. Um, I would actually have to even look into the science to be personally convinced it's true. But there was one episode where they pulled out a piece of metal in a museum and there were certain bits to it that they say, this only happens to metal if it sits for millions of years. Now, whether or not if that's true, um, they claim it's an archaeological mystery that no one's been able to truly understand uh, why that piece is there and why that occurrence, that piece of metal has occurred. Um, but there's actually a lack, from my studies, there's a sufficient lack of evidence that says we're visited. And I'm a hard evidence kind of person. Could yeah. these extraterrestrial crafts be of an extraterrestrial origin? Um, 
there's a high probability right now because technologically, according to what we're seeing and experiencing with our current means of transportation, um, something that is instantaneously start and stop propulsion uh, system and something that is a round ball, the size of a small room, um, that can go faster than our top jets. And at the same time, if our jets get close enough, it scrambles their radars. Uh, that is by our current technological means impossible. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that's a high probability. Like, what's your explanation? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, until we pull a body ancient... out of a craft that's not human, <laughs> I'm going to have to argue now in the meantime. I I'm feel like an alien could just walk down the street and, and, and no one would notice. It'd be like, be this really good cosplay. Like, what if an alien visit a Comic-Con? Like, who would know? You know what well, I mean? I'd love that. that. <laughs> Beyond that, like, why would an alien send itself? Why not send a, some kind of droid or uh, a remote-controlled yeah. craft? Like, why why be in the craft when it's so dangerous? Well, that's what Bob Lazar talked about on uh, Joe Rogan and in his documentary. I, I, believe, I, I believe Bob Lazar. Like, I'm yeah. like you, I'm a hard evidence guy, but his story is, it, to me is convincing whether or it not it's detailed. And he's also well, he talked about that. Like, you know, yeah. they're, they're not, they're not alive. Like the pilots are, they're androids or they're drones of some type. Yeah. Like they're synthetic beings or not. So they're aliens. They're aliens of aliens. If you want to think of it that way. <laughs> aliens of aliens. Yeah. Yes. Send, send our aliens towards that earth planet to go. Yeah, it might be rough. Thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, exactly. Long, long travel, right. To, to like, there's nothing in our observable space that we know about that has life, right? Like we've looked at all of, all these different like within our solar system, there's nothing, and beyond that, we don't we don't know. So, the amount of time that it would take to get here, regardless of your propulsion systems, if it's like you'd have to literally bend uh, the space time fabric, right? You'd have to bend that in order to make it feasible for like a person, at least, I mean, for their lifetime to, to, to get there. And, and with the way that time works is that like my now is different from a billion light years away is now like our now doesn't line up so we can't like look at them and see, you know, we can't wave, you know, yeah. in real time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as, yeah, well, as far as we know, yeah, but yeah. that that could be different. I mean, they could have, like, let's just say theoretically, um, there's aliens on planet X. I mean, they, they could have figured out a means of teleportation that's instantaneous, where they can just pick a star system on the map and go, all right, we're going to go there. Just click this button and fire this thing in five minutes, they're here. Yeah, right. Like strip yourself down to just data so that you uh, um, you don't have to worry about the the, the limitations of of light. Like you can tra travel faster than that at that point because you're not really transferring. Um, what do you call that matter? You're transferring data. I always used to think when I used to have this thought where like. I was watching the movie They Live. You guys have all seen that, right? Oh, I love you that know, movie. Like, oh, yeah. One of the best fight right. scenes of all time. All, my favorite <laughs> by far. That's my favorite. Like <laughs> so just, that alley. That shit goes on for like ten minutes. Dude. It is, yeah. And can you imagine being? I, I was thinking, like, can you imagine being the foley artist? Like, you just punch in this bag of sand for like ten minutes. Like, oh my god, <laughs> my hands are raw, you know. But no, like in that movie when they show how the aliens teleport between like their um their homeworld and Earth. 
I was always thinking about that too. Like, well, technically it's just data. So really what they should be doing is just creating a virtual version of themselves at a, at a monitor, at a, you know, at a, at a, a kiosk on another planet. Right. And that's, they would never have to travel. So like if you were doing, God, could you imagine being like an inner office like person and you just have to deal with yourself all day, like doing paperwork on earth while you're on, you know, beta prime or whatever. And like, and you, you have to deal with yourself. Like, could you work with yourself? That's kind of a weird segue, but I'm just thinking about that now. Like if I had to work with myself, how well would it go? Like if it was a non-competitive situation. I I think I could work with myself. (laughs) Maybe I get annoyed here and there, but for the most part, be all right. You're gonna, yes. Oh, so I said we do this, Garrett. We jump around, or at least I. It happens. Oh yeah, we both do this. All good. Yeah. <laughs> we just, we just it's all good. On like, hey, this thought goes to that thought. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So, no uh, yeah. No, I I find it very interesting um, what you're doing, especially you, you, you know, the, especially the fact that you investigate like paranormal activity and UFOs and things like that, because I. I grew up watching or rather listening to um, Art Bell. And when I was a teenager in the 90s, I was very much into investigating things that I felt like, or at least I thought maybe enough science hasn't been done for it, right? So like out-of-body experiences, um, you know, astral projection, which is basically the same thing, Um, UFOs, ghosts, because I used to have, I used to suffer from night terrors. I've talked about that before on the show too. Um, so when you mentioned like the, the, the army veteran who used to see like dead people in the form of a shadow, I saw that I've even been attacked by them. Like, you know, like trying to stab me and like freeze you in the middle of the night kind of shit. Like it's very weird. Or you wake up from a nightmare and you're still seeing it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's more, way more terrifying. Right. Yeah. uh, No, that happened to me. I have this one funny story, uh, and it was really funny because I had this ex that got to see it. I woke up in the middle of the night from this nightmare where there was like tentacle. I, I just remember there's like specifically like tentacles just like breaking through, coming down from the ceiling. And I wake I up losing my shit and she's just like watching me laughing as I'm <laughs> <That's right. laughs> scared shitless that tentacles are trying to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that. That would make me judge my partner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like Cthulhu just tried to kidnap me for who knows what nefarious means and you laughed. It's not cool, man. Well, she was used to it at that point, so. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, yeah, so. Yeah, the brain is a part. That's like after all, because I was studying witchcraft. I tried it. I even tried the exercises for astral projection. I had a weird experience with it. But in the end, what I found was that just it was my brain. Like the, the power of the human mind is... I mean, it, it it's a matrix simulator, right? I mean, even right, is, what we're yeah. doing right now is technically an emulation of reality. You know, yeah. The, I mean, the brain's a fascinating, fascinating thing, and we understand so little of it. And part of mm. what makes it so interesting is it's always trying to adapt to whatever's going on. So funny yeah. enough is computers are actually modeled after what we think our brain is. Right. And so your brain is always updating itself. And so that was, um, for people that like hearing about brain stuff, you can look up uh, the case of Phineas Gage. He was somebody who, um, a railroad pipe, a steel railroad pipe or an iron railroad pipe just like went through his eye, went right through his brain. And um, he was working on a railroad in Vermont and they were putting dynamite and he had a rod for packing. And what happened was... um, 
the yeah, he was smoking a cigar and part of it went to the hole where the dynamite was and it caused it to explode. That doesn't sound very smart. <laughs> Which sounds like something that would happen during that that's time like, period. It's like Wiley Coyote, man. Yeah. It is like Wiley Coyote. I'm and so <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And so they dragged him off to the nearest hotel, which is like the only the only place where they could find a doctor at the time, which was like two towns over or something. Mm. And they thought he was going to die. And it turned out that he managed to get up or he was still functional in bed. Like he was still holding conversation, still talking to people. And he lived the rest of his life. Um, it yeah, changed say that it's like, Yeah, as I say, they say his demeanor changed completely. Like he, he became a little more violent and stuff like that and more, more prone to outbursts and things. I, can't I never remember. heard of Phineas Gage. Well, that's interesting. Maybe, maybe do some homework, Mark. <laughs> I got it. I, dude, it's like one of the most famous cases about like how complex the brain is and where how they try and figure out where things are stored because like he was missing like a good portion of it, mm. but was still able yeah. to function and for the most part seemed unchanged. But different things about his personality had changed. Yeah, I know he became more vulgar and lethargic. Yeah, so Phineas, um, it, I know that. I don't know if he was prone to, like, I, I didn't read anything if he was prone to any violent outbursts or whatever, uh, kind of, yeah. but I just know that he became more lethargic. Uh, he was vulgar. He started becoming vulgar. Um, he was <laughs> not the promising railroad. He was not the promising young man he used to be. Now he's kind of like halfway to being a bum. <laughs> Well, that's kind of like, I mean, like Gary Busey suffered a major, um, like head injury, uh, yeah. on a motorcycle when, when he was younger and he, he survived it. Like they gave him like a one or 2% chance. However, they calculate that, but basically they thought he was going to die and he survived it. And he did, he has been active still like in movies and shows and stuff like that, but you can literally just see his mental degrade over time. And he suffered the same thing, like weird acts of like violence or just like aggressiveness, that, you know, that for him seemed like a natural transition, but to anyone around him was just like, whoa, man, you know, like, you know, somebody pinch you like what the fuck, you know? Yeah. But I find yeah. that, you know, what I find the most interesting is um, people get injured and then they become like, I don't know what you call it, like a mini savant. Like um, I, I watch a lot of stuff on this. One of my favorites was this guy who was just playing basketball in Harlem with his buddies, like on a summer day. Right. So it's like all these dudes playing basketball and, um, he tripped or he got checked and he hit his head on the concrete and he was in a coma for like two or three days. And when he woke up, he could remember any date after that. Like, like if you told him, if you asked him like when a team played, what the weather was like, everything, it was like recorded, like just like per, you know, per every little detail in his head. He couldn't, you know, he could tell you the president, like if you said, okay, who was the president on such and such date or like who, uh, who was on TV? Like it was crazy. You could just spit it out instantly. Yeah. like a computer you know yeah so that kind of thing. i think it's kind of cool yeah yeah for sure i've heard the similar things about people with like uh musicians right becoming like oh yeah yeah like after a major injury or something like that like to the mind or to the brain they become like expert musicians on like the violin or piano or something like that do you think yeah. if we knew like the trick like if you know like <laughs> like with the ball peen hammer if you had if we knew the right angle to hit someone and it was like a let's say a, like something high like a 30% chance let's say a third like a 33% chance that if this professional hits you with a ball peen hammer you that was your chance of becoming like a super genius or 
you know, a vegetable the rest of your life, would you take it? <laughs> it's a 30% chance 33, of success. 33, 33. So it's a third. That sounds like a yeah, skit right there. That's honest. That no, just sounds like a Saturday Night Live skit. Like, all right, what what kind of genius do you want to be? Um, I want to I want to become a musical genius. Okay, um, you're gonna have to lay on your left side and yeah, it's like a chiro- like a yeah. Like then he really like hits it and he's like, oh, vegetable. Sorry. All right, next. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I you want to? I would take that chance, dude. Thirty three percent. That's a high pick, dude. Success. That's like winning the lottery. Thirty three percent. Or you're a vegetable. Yeah. That is not a high chance. Yeah, but let's say okay. Let's I'll throw you a bone. Like say that. If you are a vegetable, you're also like you're out of the game mentally. Like it, it's like, how does that help? I mean, it sounds so you don't know you're suffering. Yes, yeah, I mean everyone else around you suffers, <laughs> but you don't know you're suffering. It sounds worse. You're it not making this any better. I, well, I, I just, do you got to take like, a risk, dude. For like an eighty-five percent chance, I'd probably uh, that that would. Oh, make that's me so think. safe though. Well, who wouldn't take that chance? Uh, people, I still might not take it. That would. That's enough to make me think about seriously taking it. But I still might not take that chance. A vegetable, I would like. I don't. That's like my biggest fear is being trapped in my own body. I'll do that, dude. Yeah, for sure. There's a story of a guy. I can't remember. You're good with names. I'm terrible. Um, this guy suffered a injury when he was like 12 or 13, right? Mm-hmm. And it was like in a pool or something, and it became. It put him in a coma, and it like paralyzed him. And um, he was in that coma for like another 10 or 11 years or whatever it was, and then he woke up. And they thought people, they think until his case, think about it, this is like in modern times, because this guy's alive. He wrote a book after he came out of it and everything told his story. And it's something, it's something like the sleeping boy or something like that. But he was awake. He was conscious in his body that whole time and just recording all the terrible thoughts and things and watching his family, like basically like parts of his family just give up on him because they think he's dead. And the doctors and nurses and, and experts are all telling him, his family and friends that look, anyone in his condition, they're, they're not there. They're gone. Like it's just the body operating, but the mind is gone, but they don't really, they never really knew that. And then because of his case, his scenario, they were, they, they now they have a new look on it. But can you imagine all the people that have suffered by being trapped and then dying in their own body? And God knows what happened because you know, weird shit happened to him too. He was abused sexually, you know, even though it's just weird. Like all these terrible things, they had bad nurses, people don't care that, you know, they, you know, poked him or played with his body in weird ways. Like all this stuff, like it's an amazing story. You know what I mean? Like I just, that is like <laughs> by far, I don't know what's funny, but because like, I've had, I've experienced it. I've had technically I've been in a coma twice in my life, one from an injury, which was like a 12 and a half, 13 hour coma. And the other one was when I had back pain, the only time in my life I had like severe back pain, this doctor gave me um, just like trial samples of like the sleep aid. And I'd never taken a sleeping aid in my life. And he kept me awake for six and a half hours straight in my mind, but my body was asleep. I couldn't move. I literally could not move. I was frozen for six and a half hours and my body was watching the clock, counting the minutes, losing my mind. So I can't imagine, you know, over a decade of being trapped in this dead body that used to be you. That's And then waking up and living a life, like a rich life, like writing a book, becoming, yeah. you know, famous. Like that's so, man, that's crazy. Really? That's so you wouldn't do that for 33% chance? No. Damn. All right. That's way too low. All right. I'm not being trapped in my body. Okay. There's not enough wealth in the world. Man. Oh, man, it's good for power. But anyway. It's a weird, <laughs> weird but interesting thought. <laughs> so, okay. So, I guess we're we're similar then in the sense that um, we seem like very kind of like logically grounded people, but we're really interested in paranormal 
or yeah. like unknown things like you know unsolved mysteries it used to be a show called unsolved mysteries i used to love yep. that it came yeah. back for a little while whoever the guy who played it's zach something he played spock in the new star trek movies okay oh that guy the oh yeah i know what you're talking about he did the show that's interesting yeah. he brought it back huh there was some interesting. Uh, there were he definitely did a good job with it, or whoever was involved with it did a good job with that show. Um. So yeah, it was uh, it was it was fascinating. He did in what was it? He did one specifically on the dead when he was talking about the Mel meter, and he did some pretty crazy stuff on that show. Like he went to this, like I don't I can't remember what the technical term for it is, but he went he. He went to like this place where people donate their bodies or their body parts when they die. Mm. But like everything is wrapped up and you can tell what shape it is. Like you can see like, oh, that's the shape of a head. That's the shape of a hand. Even though it's in like plastic wrap. It was really like, intense. <laughs> like Walmart Halloween wrapping on body parts. <laughs> yeah. It's all like white sheets, but you can see the outline clearly. Yeah. He did a few other things. He did one on, I think it was one on time travel where he did investigating. He went all the way up to Champlain and talked to the woman who took the champ photo. And he was... The champ photo. So in Vermont, um, there's Lake Champlain. I don't recommend going to it because it's filled with various forms of flesh-eating bacteria. Um, oh, man. Yeah. Some of it's like straight out of a horror movie, too. Like, you'll get it, and there's no swelling or bleeding. Your flesh just starts to dissolve. Ooh. I don't know how fast it dissolves your flesh, but it's like, holy shit. And um, which freaked me out, like, the time I found that out, like, when I was driving up there to go do audio for a horror movie called water horse. And, um, <laughs> so I'm like holding all of this, like audio equipment on a dock at one point, And I'm like, I pray to God that they don't ask me to jump in the water at any point or get too close. Um, <laughs> I was just, like yeah, really freaky. Um, and, uh, so yeah, it was like, it looks kind of like the Loch Ness monster, that picture. And okay. it's considered Lake Champlain's uh, Loch Ness Monster or something like that. Uh, but they call it Champ. That's that's the name of it. Like if you type in uh, like uh, 1970s or I think it's like 1974 Champ photo, it'll pop up. I think 1974 was when it was taken. Um, but he was, there's a lot of quartz. There's quartz pockets underneath Lake Champlain. And so a lot of, Paranormal people have this, uh, paranormal investigators or theorists have these theories that uh, courts under enough pressure could potentially uh, trigger time travel. Or okay, wow, well, that is travel. far out. Yeah. Um, like the crystal quartz, the rock? Yeah, a certain, certain kinds of quartz crystals. I don't remember what type of quartz crystal it is. Um, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. So it triggers don't... time travel of what? Like it's like locally, like a pocket dimension kind of thing, or that's a, uh, that's a, I've, that's such a man. Like yeah, yeah. No, I'm trying to remember every theory. There's one theory where it's like it's only like opening a window for a moment, 
where you can just kind of look through or step through just for a second or uh, it's partial time travel or it's like sideways or it's like side dimension stepping or something like that. I think it was like interdimensional. Yeah, there's one, there's one, but a lot of these people, a lot of these are like kind of big random jump theories too. Like stuff you'd probably see on cool Gaia. Idea, though. Hmm? I just got it. That just gave me a great idea. Like for like, like a Ray Bradbury story, like there's a house of glass or windows, let's say. And when you go in there, you can, you're, you're viewing people from the past or the future, but you can't ever visit them or hear them. You can just watch them. So it's almost like a window people can walk up to and like wave, you know, and stuff like that. So, and it's like live, but you can never, like, if you break the glass, it's gone forever. You can never like go and visit or That'd go. It's not cool. a portal, but it's just, that's all it is. Like a museum for the past or the future. <laughs> Don't steal a, that. It's mine. <laughs> there's a, there's a theoretical camera. Somebody supposedly had that allowed you to look back into the, uh, into the past. What was the name of it? I gotta look this up now. Yeah, it sounds familiar. Um, what is it? It's like a something graph, I think. Uh, chronograph. Chronograph? Yeah, like yeah. chronos. Yeah. I, I, I want to say chronoscope, but... Chronoscope, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like that. Oh, the video game. That's there's a, that's all I know for chronoscope. <laughs> oh yeah, it's based um, off of Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. All right, time travel. Camera. Yeah, I'm a genius if it's related to fantasy. <laughs> More <laughs> yeah. than I know. Um, let's see. Yeah, because there's the supposed Jesus pictures. I can pull that. I'm able to pull that up. I can't pull the name up. The time travel vote photos. The Vatican, what is it? Hold on. Supposedly there's a theory that the Vatican had this camera or has a camera that allows them to look into the past. I wonder, I wonder if, if that goes along. Got a... Chronovisor, that's it. The Chronovisor. 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 <laughs> I wonder if that's what Charlie Sheen is thinking. He's a Vatican assassin. You think Charlie Sheen is a Vatican assassin? Is that what you said? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh, <laughs> Remember when he went all crazy like, and he, said, he was saying that in like 2012? He's like, I'm a Vatican assassin. I drink tiger's blood. Uh, <laughs> he dude, said that. That's so funny. I love Charlie Sheen, even though he's sick. He's always been a favorite actor of mine, too. Like, I like yeah. his movies. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah. I miss that. I miss the whole Charlie Sheen craze. That was fun, man. <laughs> that was. I thought so. He was, bi- he was bipolar. He was by winning. He's by winning, dude. The blood of the donor's ancestors. There's so many great quotes. That's the thing, too. Like there should be. He should have wrote that shit down. Well, I guess it's on TV. Or I like the the songified like uh, interview with him. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, so I weird. forgot about that. Sheep. It's uh, Shmoyo. Shmoyo. Yeah. I like the way that sounds. Yeah. Kind of. Now I want to ask him that question. Did you use the chronovisor when you were a Vatican assassin? <laughs> Do you think so? I I've often thought about that. Like, would what would we get to a point where we could interview like celebrities, and would we want to? But people from the past? No, no, no. Oh. I'm just like now, like in the present, like celebrities in the present. Like, would we could, if we could get Charlie Sheen? Why wouldn't we talk to him? Right? Yeah, I don't see why not. <laughs> yeah, I'd interview Charlie Sheen if I got the chance. That'd be kind of a cool. Uh, Interview series like uh, 
former stars, like people that that were big once and then had like fallen off the map. Oof. Oh yeah, like so like, uh, like Charlie there. Sheen or like Brendan Fraser before he came back and um trying to think <clears throat> of others but i'm really bad with names especially <laughs> celebrities yeah but there's plenty Fraser. of them out there that used to be huge and famous and big and yeah. then they just kind of fall off out of nowhere like liam neeson like when's the last time he did anything well he's still actually he's still making movies he's making really bad movies right now yeah. i the last one i saw and he's made some sense but there was one on netflix it was like a ice trucker movie and it just had, I mean, really bad CGI and just a really, really dumb plot. And even Neeson himself was just like, he, like he just was collecting a check. He looked like a guy, he looked literally like an actor just showing up for work. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, what is this movie? Like, was it Honest Thief? Huh? Was it Honest Thief? That's the last movie I heard of that he was doing. No, no, no. This is actually, this movie's probably a year or two old now, but it's the last okay. one of his that I watched. Okay. No, yeah. Honest Thief was like 2018, I think. Yeah, because that, that was when I was on 2018? Yeah, I think it was 2018. 20, yeah, 2018. No, he's still making movies. He's going to be a... Oh, man, I can't remember what I read. I saw a thing about him being in... He might be joining the MCU. He might be in the Marvel Universe. Uh, oh, Harrison character. Ford just joined. Yeah, the Red Hulk. We were just talking about that. He's <laughs> supposed to be so the Red Hulk. Weird. Yeah. Sounds so weird. <laughs> I mean, they're going to they're gonna need like a, a lot of CGI. Because he's what? He's almost in his 80s, isn't he? Yeah. Harrison Ford. He looks pretty I mean, big. Yeah, I don't know. He's been working out a lot. I saw a picture of him just yesterday. He's in the news. Yeah, crazy that, that was that was considered big news on local tele, on local news yesterday. It's like Channel Ten, and they're showing this picture of him, and he looks like he's been working out a lot. Well, I mean, you reach an age too that like the fact that you're still alive is kind of like like a thing right it's like wow you know, this, this guy that you used to see he's alive still it's like your brain's kind of like oh wow this hope <laughs> yeah right it's like queen elizabeth who, yeah. i don't know she was like 90 plus right she's like it's 96 crazy. 97 was she's she? really old mm-hmm. really old that's all right i want to make it to 100 you you i thought you said you want to be like 120 or I don't something know, maybe I'm, i want to get to to 112 but if i can oh, I, but i know i'm gonna i'm gonna make it to 100 I want to go for 150. 150. I just want to see. I just want to see how long I can go. <laughs> Doesn't matter if I'm 107 and life is boring. As long as long as I I can see how far I can go. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That would yeah. As long as you have your mind though too. That's important. Like if you if you don't have yeah. your mind, you're not a traveler anymore. You're just a victim, right? So yeah, that, that matters more than the body. Like the rest of the body is just the brain. It's like you're a stationary bike for the world travels around you. <laughs> yeah. You're like the dog in Futurama. You just stand on the same street corner. <laughs> <laughs> no one cares about you. So <laughs> Sorry, man. <laughs> this is the saddest episode they got. Yeah. No one hits hard. I know. It's like Dude, 17 what is, years you sat on that corner. Yeah. 17 or 112. <laughs> 112. <laughs> yeah. Like why do you? You know, I've often thought about that. Like, I love dogs. I love all all animals. But it's why are we so enamored with dogs? I mean, they're it's expressive. probably like probably the simplest animal. Like, if you look about, like, if you think about it, like you can train a dog to literally just sit in one spot of your house all day long. Cats not going to happen. They're going to like scratch yeah. things and run outside and go hunt shit, and then parrots they're in cages yeah you have to be around them or otherwise they're gonna rip their feathers out 
Um, other animals require so much. It dogs don't, and they're happy with it. Mm. They're just like happy with anything. Well, well they're, all, they're also they have eyebrows, right? So they're more expressive. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, because yeah. eyebrows are the hands of the face. That's how you communicate. If you don't have like um. It's like, I learned that in animation, right? It's like, it's really hard to show uh, expression and emotion without uh, an eyebrows, mm. without those muscles in your face to make a, a surprise to look, to make any kind of like, you know, inquiry in your face. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the biggest, that's one of the biggest things in, in acting is your face. You have to use your fit. You have to use your face for so much to convey so much emotion. Oh, yeah. so like said, all the really no. good actors too because they know they well, know that, that's where you can tell where people are lying is if there's a disconnect from the words in the face then they're lying you can tell that they're not they're not being honest about something either they don't truly feel that way or they're just straight up telling you a fabrication like something about them is off if they're not expressing properly yeah it's also a key thing in, in trauma too what i found so like you can see it um there's one key scene in, I don't know if you've heard about Demi Lovato having a UFO show. No. So wow, she, that's... yeah. So Demi Lovato went ahead and had this show uh, about being abducted. Demi claimed there was a, some kind of extraterrestrial experience. Um, and so when Demi's talking about it to someone, I think it's a hypnotherapist. Yeah. There's this part okay. when Demi's talking about it and it's a traumatic experience, but yet she's like smiling and like really chipper. And sure. that's, that's a, that's also a key thing is, um, I think it's a defensive mechanism to like avoid yeah. that stress, to avoid that negative feeling like, Oh, this is a terrible thing, but I'm going to giggle and be really happy. So I don't get stressed about it. Oh yeah. It's like a, <coughs> If you uh, if you're ever stressful and you smile, your body will kind of like relax because it's like you can't be happy and stressed at the same time. So yeah. you're, whatever you're forcing upon your your body is gonna take precedence. Yeah. It's the same thing with like eating. If you like take like if you start eating while you're nervous or something too, you're not gonna be eating when you're stressed out or being chased by a lion. So your body's like, oh, I guess we're okay. Yeah. Or some people have dopamine or uh, adrenaline hit. It's like that's what controls us. Sorry, it's okay. But uh, I've been I've been falling down that rabbit hole of like YouTube videos too. You know, it's like how much we're our Neanderthal brain because we're just we're just we're just ancient predators like humans. You know what I mean? We're still adapting to this modern world that we've created or, or that most of us didn't create, but we're born into, right? Like you said, the mind is always adapting. So it's kind of weird to think that, you know, the jungle is this modern world that other humans have created for us to live in that we have to main, we have to manage, maintain and survive, you know, and it's so different. Like, I don't know about you guys, but when I go out and into like, when I, the further I get from society, the more at home I feel like with myself, the more at peace I become too. It's yeah. very strange. It's not like something I think about. It just sort of happens. That's, you know, that's, that's why, why a lot hiking. of people, yeah, because a lot of people really like that, um, that, that isolation or going out into nature. Like that's why like nature retreats or hiking or uh, camping is so popular because you're out and your brain suddenly shifts. There's less overstimulation. 
because you just have to look out for weather and predators as opposed to being in a city where you're on sensory overload. Uh, there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of people. Oh man. I mean, it's unpredictable. You don't know yeah. if like a crackhead's going to whip out a gun, and just start shooting into a crowd or someone's going to go off the rails uh, or trucks going to spin out of control and like start like accidentally like mowing people down on the sidewalk. Oh yeah. I mean, just the noise alone of a city can be overwhelming for sure. Just the sounds. Yeah, there's people that take medicine for that. I forget what that condition's called, actually. Like Anxiety. People, I guess, yeah. yeah. But they they live in, you know, that's something that people, some people that, like, live in cities, like, especially, like, apartment buildings and stuff like that, you know. I can totally get that. I can totally see that. I'm lucky, I guess, for myself, I can say that I've always been, I've always found some way to manage the crazy, you know what I mean, the anxiety. But definitely, I can understand how some people need help. I guess we all do in some way, you know, one way or another. You got to find some kind of aid, you know, to get through this, this noise of life, whatever you want to call it. We talk about that shit so much though, because it just really is a topic that you, you know, you can never stop talking about is, you know, modernity, like just the the technological world we live in and how, how it affects us. Like we're still learning that too, right? I mean, even the technology we're using right now is, is pretty new. I mean, it's our generation that got introduced to it first. Yeah, I could imagine as a kid, like having like this opportunity to talk to someone in Maine face to face nearly, you know, like this is insane. Yeah, it's such a cool experience that we're able to have. Yeah. I mean, even like a hundred, not even a hundred years ago, there was no telephone, right? So it's like you couldn't even like call someone to do this. There was no way to record it. There was no way to do any of that kind of stuff. So it's crazy to think that the leaps that technology has made and how, how fast it is and laws and, and society can't keep up with the, with the pace of technology. Right. So you don't, you're always like being exposed to this relatively new thing and you don't know how to react to it in like exactly. a, in a healthy way. Like what's the benefits and what's the drawbacks. There's always going to be both. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting thing to talk about. I used to teach film at one point and um, yeah, I mean, film, <clears throat> The, er- the earliest movies ever made were made in 1894. I mean, if you really think about it under the scope of how long humans have been here and how long human society has been around, that's, that's like nothing. It's a mm-hmm. hundred, we're almost at a hundred we're at like 118 years right now, just about. And for film. or 132, 128 years, 118 or 128 years. I can't remember math. Yeah. 128 years. So that's, that is such a new technology and it started out with you have celluloid film and you get maybe 30 seconds out of it. Maybe you might get a 30 second clip. And because the technology was so bad, Thomas Edison had to create a giant black box, uh, a studio where he had to flip the roof open. And there's only certain times of day that they could film because that was when the sunlight was at its strongest directly on the, um, directly on the studio. Huh. And now, yeah, now, now we're getting into cameras that can capture at nighttime light, like the human eye can adjust to night. And that's like starting onto your phone. 
Oh yeah, you're yeah. not even gonna need cameras pretty soon. Like, I've been sending uh, Zach. Uh, this guy on TikTok does deep fakes, right? With like mostly like with Arnold Schwarzenegger and like Sylvester Stallone. But he does the voices too. But it's not even voice acting. It's it's a program that just mimics copies the sound. Like anybody, almost anybody, I would presume can like record themselves, and then the program, the software, will make them sound like that celebrity that had their voice, you know, coded. It's like that's crazy, you know. So eventually, yeah. you can like that's what I want to know though too, because I, I saw a student pro- film product a long, long time ago before all this deep fake stuff. So whoever did it was a master. I don't know where they're at now, but it's lost to obscurity. But it was um, it was an Alfred Hitchcock uh, scene. I forget. There's a movie. Several movies uh, have um, uh, what's his name? The actor, not Dean Martin. Um, uh, Cary Grant. So Cary Grant was in several like uh, like North by Northwest. He's in several like Hitchcock movies as well. And there was one where Cary Grant is the main character. And the film is not the story is not that great. But this, the, the movie is famous because Hitchcock filmed it all in one take. There's no cuts. There's no edits. Mm. The whole movie is one take. Okay. So all the lines, everything. So it's really interesting to watch because you can kind of pick out the mistakes if you want to call them that even though oh there's always mistakes that. every every movie sure. there is mistakes in it right it's it's yeah. unavoidable right but it, what was interesting is. was that the yeah. scene that i saw was fake i thought i was watching the original movie but it was yeah. fake because obviously cary grant is dead so everything was created in a computer space and you know in a cgi basically including cary grant's voice and that blew my mind so it made me think like even then um, when are we going to bring dead actors back to life for film? I like mean, we already did with like Carrie Fisher and yeah. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, do we Disney actually to? owns the ri- the likeness rights of a lot of like dead celebrities too, like Dean Martin and uh, I think like Michael Jackson and things like that. Like they own like the rights of their That's their crazy. likeness, um, and they can use them in any kind of media source that they want. If they want to do ads with them, if they want to do you know. Even if it's just photo- photography, you can just use old photos of them, but they can actually like re- replicate the way they look now. You know, they have 3D models, if you will. That's yeah, that man, the future is going to be cool and and probably shitty at the same time, but holograms <laughs> will find out. Yeah, <laughs> we'll sure. see. I don't know. Yeah. So when you, so you've been working, I remember you telling me they used to work at a TV station in exeter is that correct yes i i was working there until about august august 9th of this year i resigned to go pursue some other other projects and have you always been i mean it sounds like you're really into film obviously you used to teach film so is are you just kind of shooting out in all directions and and seeing what you can do like as what i'm asking is do you find there's more interest in your documentaries and your interviews or do you want to go into something like like you mentioned horror movies and making movies and things like that uh i mean that was what i initially set out to do is to go make all these narratives like i want to do like fantasy movies and horror and crazy action films and all sorts of like fun nonsense but um it wasn't until i was at emerson college when i for uh we're, we're taking a science class because we have to take our credentials. We had to take our credentials, but, uh, <laughs> our projects were all, uh, media. So we had to pick a subject and then we'd go make a project on it. 
So I did a final on childhood cancer and it might be somewhere <laughs> out there still on YouTube. Uh, uh, like online. Okay. Yeah. It's called life of a single cell. And I found the very first chemo patient, Allison DuPont and interviewed her. And that changed. That's a good thing. Yeah. That changed my perspective on, uh, doing documentaries because back then, um, digital technology was like really starting to pick up. This is like 2012, 2013. Um, and so uh, this is before YouTube decided it was going to make a studio right before it and right mm -hmm. before a lot of the podcast stuff really exploded as well. Um, so I did that and I decided like, all right, well maybe there might be more I, I might want to do because my goal always was to do my own stuff. But when I was growing up, I heard you're going to have to go to LA, maybe New York. And then right. I saw YouTube for the first time I was like in seventh grade and I was staying over at a friend's place and he showed me this crazy website where I get to see like original made videos and people making their own content. And this is like in some guy's backyard out in like the Midwest or just some place that you never would have expected it otherwise, if it weren't for um, the internet. And that was when I knew I'm like, all right, this is, this is going to be my platform. I wasn't expecting at that point I was going to be, you know, like a big celebrity or, you know, multi-million dollar uh, making filmmaker, but I knew I was like, okay, well, I'll be able to go ahead and figure, figure out my thing living in Maine and uh, I'll be able to make movies. And that was what I want. I mean, this is still what I watch this day is like B movies and, no budget films and um because i feel the like they have the most heart usually too mm. yeah the b films yeah so um i i mean if you watch uh asylum which i think they they were behind the last these last three halloween movies it was supposed to be the final trilogy i think um asylum is they made sharknado oh god yeah, I love Sharknado. Really? No. Oh, they're so silly. Oh, they're God. ridiculous. Yeah. they're ridiculous. It's it's fun. The only um, way I was able to sit through Sharknado was was listening to riff tracks, just chew it up. They go they it. go into space. What's not to love? <laughs> was that a sequel? I don't remember. Yeah, that the there's, yeah. there's like the fourth one. They go into space and shit. It's so good. Oh, oh yeah, it's ridiculous. Like. <laughs> I think it's just because so many people were like ripping on it. The first one, like the first one was just made and it was just like the, one of the worst movies of all time. But then after that, uh, cause so many people were talking about it and it blew up. Um, that that's when like, Oh, let's, let's capitalize off this. Let's make a sequel. Let's make a third movie. Let's make a fourth. Let's make a fifth. And we'll make the fifth, the final one. And it was <laughs> so big. It was so big in Deadpool two. They talked about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Ryan you Reynolds. Funny to me. What Sharknado Is are it? we on in the future? If you're from the future, what Sharknado are we on? <laughs> yeah. And it's basically what? It's basically a Bollywood movie made in the West. That's how I feel. Yeah. That's what that's how I feel. Yeah, it's I mean, <laughs> Someone's just like, you know what? We we don't we should just do our version of, you know over the top action. Over the yeah. top action, sliding horses and flying trucks and shit. Sliding horses, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, and that stuff's really cool. I mean, it, it has its own place. It's like it's fun just to flip on something stupid like that, you know. When it is true, yeah. so you can forget for two hours weeks, about yeah. Russia invading the Ukraine and threatening us with I know, right? weapons. <laughs> we were talking about that the other day, or I brought it up. It's just like because I, I missed the early days of YouTube when you could watch. There was no censorship, so you could watch like backyard wrestling and people actually getting hurt. You know, like all this kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and there was all there was just all this like like you said, I, man. I wish I'd gotten in on it because I actually, I was you know I was working in plastic surgery at the time and it was like early two thousands. And I, my first video, one of my first videos on YouTube, if not my very first video, was a was an Oblivion video I made, right? And it was just like simple like you know uh, Windows Movie Maker like editing. It was nothing special, but it got like a couple hundred thousand views. And I didn't realize back then that's like significant right so yeah. now my that video is like you know um copyrighted right i don't think it's even like up anymore but i it, for whatever dumb reason it didn't click with me that I, like i was just mildly impressed i just marveled at it. i'm like oh that's cool Two, <laughs> Two hundred thousand people viewed my video i didn't that's think really like realize like how you know i could have been a mr beast or a joe rogan didn't realize it <laughs> <'Cause>, you know, <laughs> that, they got in at the beginning so yeah, and it was all good. Yeah, yeah. No, well, was, I think yeah, there's still opportunity for new people to get big. You know, it's just because like people are always cycling through. You know, it's yeah. like any other kind of industry. And, and there's opportunities. The yeah. yeah, and there's now opportunities for people to be able to make videos and you know make a living off of it. You don't have to be huge and be you know making. That's the goal. Independence. Yeah. That's yeah, the goal. Exactly. Yeah. You can have think, you can have a degree of independence uh, now that YouTube's got a whole monetizing system uh, where you can just you know if you're you have X number of subscribers and you're increasing and you have X number of views and X number of hours you can get monetized and you can actually get a paycheck off of it. Oh, those guys that make tens of millions of dollars a month yeah. on YouTube and their content, I mean. It's just so relaxed and really kind of boring to me uh, when I look at like the biggest creators on YouTube and you look at the early stuff, it's like really impressive. Like they're really trying. Now it's like, obviously they got writers, they got a whole production team. You know what I mean? They're just like the face that shows up to say the script that they probably didn't even write anymore. Yeah. You know, it's just, but it's, it, it's still an income. They've got their view. They've got their audience and that's it. They've got yeah. their subscribers. It's also kind um, of weird too, to be watching like how somebody goes from like just making videos in their room um, like right now, anyone can watching, like watching this video can tell I'm probably sitting at ground level, sitting up against the bookshelf uh, and that's my backdrop. Um, but they go from something like this and then they're in a studio that's meant to look like something like this. Yeah. Right. That, yeah, <laughs> it's like, um, what's his name from, uh, the room, uh, Tommy Wiseau. Yeah. yeah, I love Tommy Wiseau. So, like, they—if you ever watch um, um, the movie based on him uh, with uh, Disaster Artist, Disaster Artist, man, I can't remember anything. Thank you. I love the fact that they had they, they recreated the alleys. Like, the scenes in the movie are literally the places where they were filming, and they recreated it in a studio instead of just <laughs> shooting it live. <laughs> so, like, the alleys, like the rooftops, like those are real places that they're. That's the building they're in, but they're recreating it. Like that's what he and he spent millions of dollars. It's just, it's just great. It's just that is it's hysterical. <laughs> that's what I love too about riff tracks. Is like you know uh, who's that? Who's another great uh, James? Was it James Nguyen or I don't know how to say his last name? Like Nguyen Nguyen. 
he's another one he made like some uh, uh like really crazy like like bad sci-fi movies i mean low you want to talk about low budget it's like Is it like camera. ed wood kind of stuff yeah, it's like Ed Wood type stuff. Yeah, I, I think his name, the director's name, the writer director is James Nguyen or something like that. But man, he's like, or another one, you you ball is is basically James is a Ed Wood with a lot of money. There was, a mini, <laughs> there was a mini documentary I watched him. He says he's a scam artist. Like he was using some loophole in the German like law system. System of law allowed him to get money from taxpayers through local government to fund his movies because people were like i even i would joke i'm like how does you like who's throwing money at you ball like does he have a <laughs> dying rich uncle you know what i mean like who's yeah. letting him do this these crazy bad movies yeah. but that's what he was doing he was making money off like a loophole in the system so yeah just getting like getting grants like, yeah so throughout the 20s like yeah. through the 50s there's a lot of weird scams like that um oh you mean for like movie making oh yeah like movie making scams yeah there's like the weird <laughs> like I think was i i know that a trip to the moon is the most pirated movie of all time is it really nosferatu hmm. um they had a different name for it but they changed the name yeah and then they i think they did some kind of copyright thing to well originally it was gonna be it was gonna be uh dracula yeah, and they didn't. They couldn't get the rights. Bram Stoker was still alive, and he wouldn't let them do the movie. So they, that's what I, if I recall correctly. And so they changed the name of character, so it's like Count Orlo instead of Dracula and shit like that. So, they, but it's based. The movie you're watching is essentially Dracula. Yeah, yeah. Now that's a really interesting story too, because the uh, the original was done in German, I believe. Yeah, and that version is lost. So the one that we have yeah. is like technically a recreation. Well, yeah. there's like there's a lot of films that are just lost like that because of the yeah. fire because the celluloid was so combustible. Yeah, and there was there's a fire. The, in, yeah, the MGM fire. We lost a lot of movies. Yeah, there's some. That's, that's sad to think, man. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a we have a lost Alfred Hitchcock movie called The Mountain Eagle. Um, one of the biggest blockbusters ever. London After Midnight made in 1928. Um, like this was considered Lon Chaney's masterpiece and mm. he, uh, and that movie's lost that the last known copy burned up in 67 and, the uh, fire, the MGM fire. Um, one of the, it's almost like the library of Alexander burned down, but it has the same sort of funeral feeling to it. You know, like you, you, you mourn the loss of that art that yeah history you know it sucks it sucks there's a couple other movies i would have loved to have watched there was one of the first versions of frankenstein like in the 30s and there was an early cleopatra because it wasn't until the 30s when people started getting censorship because of Mm. two movies tarzan's mate and you definitely see at points that girl is not wearing underwear um (laughs) I'll have to go back and watch it for uh, for <laughs> scientific, scientific study. <laughs> for scientific study, and then there's one movie. Um, it's I didn't even watch the full thing. It's so gross. It's called The Quest for Beauty. There's just like mm. full. It's just like the way it was filmed. It was just so gross. Like just the full nude scenes with just like dozens of people like walking around just butt naked. 
Huh. Just a bunch of well-fed, fed, middle-aged Americans. Just <laughs> yeah, just like a bunch of Hollywood people being like, "All right, I'll do anything for a paycheck." It's like a two real eyes wide shut. It's like, ooh, it's not models. I thought it'd be models. <laughs> yeah, it's oh man, it, it's worse than I, I would say. It's like more over the edge and disturbing than eyes wide shut. You know, the disturbing part of that movie for me, at least, is not the sexuality or, or even the sexism. It's the it's the uh, the society, like how dark, because I really do feel like the world is run by villains. And I, I, I'm i sure that's like their low level playing field. You know what I mean? Like that's just oh, the that's, beginning. Of yeah, that's what watchery. a lot of people are like. I mean, look at what Weinstein did. And then if if you read yeah. Corey Feldman's book, he he's he gives everybody's name. He gives he tells who they who's doing what, who did what, who got away with it, how they got away with it. Um. Child actors, there's a way where up to 99% of whatever they're make they're making, uh, or 95% of, I think it's 95% of whatever they're making can get taken from them. That, that's why I turned away from the voice. Yeah, yeah. Their managers can take like 85% of their money, and then their Jeez. parents can take an additional 10%. So Corey Feldman... Like he's doing movies like Gremlins, and he's only walking away with like forty thousand dollars out of a million, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or out of wow. millions. Like I feel really bad for child actors because there's so many loopholes for them to just get significantly screwed. Yeah, and then their parent or whoever is their guardianship or their management can set up these trusts where they can control their money and control their career. It's yeah, terrible. Yeah, like Culkin. That happened to him. That's why he was... The children had the most protection. They should. They should. Yeah, yeah I know. Yeah. It's, it is, like, dis- disgusting as to how kids are not legally protected. No, it's not a healthy environment. Well, well we could have a conversation about that. I, I feel like that's it's getting worse in this day and age. Like, all the yeah. shit I see and hear and read, it's like... Oh, well, I don't know. Worse. Um, I think it's just more prevalent. Like, it's more like, easy to one see. guy... Um, Chris Thurber uh, and the unexpected uh, pressures of parenting. Oh, the unlikely art of parental pressure. Sorry. I got that name significantly wrong. I'm sorry, Chris. (laughs) And so this is like Exeter Academy. This is a prestigious school that like people shell out a lot of money to send their kids to. Dan Brown taught there at one point. And he's talking about like just the, the the horrific like the horrific abuse that kids endure because of like social media and smartphones now. Mm-hmm. There's one case he went over where um, one one of the students uh, who is seeing him, it, parents could could track her movement. So they knew she was in uh, like the sick hall. Sick, I don't know what, I can't remember off the top of my head what was the area that kids went to for shrinks or doctors. And uh, because she was there, they knew. And she told him like, oh, I have to, I, I have to lie to them and say that I have a cold. I'm not, I'm not seeing a therapist. And when a test is graded her parents are able to see it before her they're the first to know they have notification systems they can look at her grades 
And then depending on how she does, there's uh, social media groups for the parents to post this. And this poor kid is like stressed out of her mind, not to actually like do well, but she's just so afraid of like feeling her parents wrath if she doesn't do well in school, mm. she doesn't keep her grades up. That's what she's more worried about. And then because there are kids that get notified by their parents through these social media groups when the grades are first posted, then they will take it out on each other. I mean, it's just like, what happens to kids these days is horrible. They're not allowed to be children anymore. There's no proper, I feel like, yeah, there's no proper consequence. And consequence, when you do wrong, that's how you train to be, to do right, right? That's how you learn empathy. That's how you learn to be a good person and, and recognize that there are things that you yourself will not like as an outcome based on your actions, right? So like when I was a little kid, and I lied about grades in school or I hid, you know, report cards and things like that. I found out later how that hurt me. And that's what made me stop doing it was not the wrath of my parents. I could handle that. They could be, you know, my mother could swing at me all she wanted. It was like, whatever, right? You get numb to that it's at, after a certain point. And I'm not saying I wasn't abused or anything. That was just, you know, raising right. children was yeah. different than I think it was better, but whatever. <laughs> Smacking but, your kids. <laughs> well, I just think that, um, yeah, I think I I think it, in certain situations that like physical discipline, it 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 is useful. I do think that that oh, yeah, you, you, like physical pain is something you should learn, not just not just emotional pain. Otherwise, you're always yeah. imagining pain, and that's like the society we're we're like going into is like a lot of people who imagine pain, they imagine oppression, they imagine all these things that could happen to them that aren't necessarily possibly happening to them like all the time right and like that's the that's the image that you just drew with that story that you told i think i think that's sick i think not allowing people to fail makes them fit live a life of nothing but failure because you, you just what are you what are you training them for uh, i can't believe that the the tracking app on her phone is that accurate to the what room she is in the building yeah how come i didn't have like that, that in gp in like survey that's, that's crazy <laughs> And then, that's funny yeah, uh, just having the notifications of the the grades i don't know i think you need to be able to trust your kids i think that's part of it and learn teaching them how oh. to trust and to and to value that people trust them as well that and if, not just assume well, they're yeah, doing something wrong well Absolutely. it's like not even that it's like the kids aren't at that point the kids aren't even learning right they're not, they they're not learning. They, yeah. They're not gaining anything that's actually going to benefit them. I mean, like if I were a teacher, honestly, like if for some reason, like there was a college that was like, "All right, Garrett, I think you, you're you could teach. We'll we'll give you a shot at it." Honestly, I'd be willing to like muck with grades if kids could prove, like if whoever the students were could prove to me that they're learning. That they're learning and they're really working at it and they're oh, teachers developing do all, all the time. effort. Then yeah. yeah. I'd be willing like I I don't care. I'd be willing to get yelled at just because somebody can learn, you know. There's it. also I just I, opportunities for extra credit too that you can create. Yeah. So like I had a te uh, physics teacher that would just he's like, I understand this is a very complicated subject. So like I'm gonna make some very easy extra credit and you can do this once a week. And you'll be fine, and, and even and you could have the potential to have an over a hundred percent because of the extra credit. 
yeah. that's the out of a good teacher, I think, yeah. because yeah. they they if they just like if you disagree with the curriculum and, and you want children still to learn and pass because extra credit can be whatever the hell you want it to be yeah. or at least that's how it used to be so yeah i had an earth science teacher that's that's what he would do because he and a history teacher the, my, i had a really good history teacher we used to spend the first like part of the class because that was the window he, he thought he'd be checked on because he was checked on by the staff right his managers or the the principal because he wasn't always following what he you know their curriculum was because it was wrong and he was a history major like he had a doctorate in history so he knew it was wrong right so we'd spend the first 10 15 minutes going over the book and he would tell he basically in a way his way would tell us what the answers were to like the test and then he'd give us the real lesson and then we'd close our books and just leave them on the desk um <laughs> and then he'd give us like he's like here's why the civil war really started you know like shit yeah. like that like you know here's what columbus really did you know like it was awesome like i, I feel lucky that i had him as a history teacher that this is awesome. like grade school it's like fifth or sixth grade it was like sixth grade yeah i had um I had a high school math teacher. She she was she was like a by the book teacher, but my senior year of math, she was like, "All right, um, if you continue to be in this one class, you're going to fail. So we're going to switch you over to an independent study." And basically, all I did was like go through math books and figure out what should be proposed for classes or what should be proposed to teach to kids or not. And I was like how I passed. And I also learned a lot more from it. Yeah. Like I was like reading through like textbooks that are like, this is everyday mathematics. That's going to help you with your taxes. I, 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 there's still a part of me that wants to be a teacher, but it, there's the, the immediate response from the upper echelon of management. In my brain is like, they'd fire you. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> Nowadays. Yeah. No they'd way. probably fire you. Yeah, they just fire you. You think that's not a good idea. That's not good. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like, I think the kids would be more than interested in learning. But at the same time, it's like, oh, man, the administration. See, that's just it. Like, even as a kid, I remember when I paid attention in class is when it's when I didn't know what the teacher was going to say. It's like a bad, like, it's like a bad Hollywood movie. When I got in the class and I knew what the plot was, you know, like he's just run, they're running through the motions. Like, why would I pay attention? You know, like I already felt too smart for that. Like, you know, I had that mentality. It's like, you're just wasting my time, but you're getting paid for it. And I'm not, you know what I mean? Like, what the hell are we doing here? Yeah. So I was lucky though. Like, I think everybody hopefully has like at least one or two good teachers through their public schooling life or whatever schooling life, you know, that they can say made a change. Yeah. Well, I know. think most teachers care too. Because yeah. They agree. don't get paid enough to, <laughs> yeah. to do that job and not care. Like they, you got to have some kind of passion for it. Otherwise, we you're definitely not doing it for the money. There's not much yeah. money in teaching. There's one guy. Like, yeah. No, keep going. Keep going. I was just going to say in like rural areas and low income places, like you're definitely not getting paid. So those are where you find the teachers that really care the most. Yeah. I mean, I know one guy who's a inner city middle school teacher and he's like, oh, I don't really like care. I, I passed just about all of my kids just... I want to try and like make sure that they have, you know, like a good time when they come into my class. Like it's a good place for them. Mm. That's kind of cool too, in the sense, like there was a teacher I had that was like that. He just, it was kind of like a safe space, not in the, the modern definition context, of the term. But yeah. Like, yeah. And not in the modern context, but in the, the sense that, you know, if, cause you know, you never know 
which child is suffering from abuse in their home or what their life is like. So to have a classroom, a group of people where things were just cool, things were chill, things were comfortable. It's like a break in your day, right? From your stress, your anxiety and all that kind of stuff. So I don't remember learning anything in that class, but we just had kind of podcast like conversations, you know what I mean? And that was it. Like, it's like our work was very low. Like, I don't even remember doing anything significant. You know, it was like social studies type class. Yeah. Nice. I don't even remember the name of the, the class. <laughs> you know, but that, I, do, I remember like the experience like that. It was just like, you know, it's like, a, like, you know, hanging out with your friends and smoking, but not, we weren't smoking. <laughs> So my favorite class in, in high school was, uh, it was called cat and it was contemporary American thought. And we would just talk about different current events and stuff like that. And our ideas on different things and just kind of have a discussion about whatever topic we decided to, to research that day. So that, that was a really cool class because it just, it taught you how to, how to think, um, how to communicate your ideas, how to accept other people's ideas, how to have a productive conversation which I I think is just extremely useful, and it also that's what I do here. Yeah, I so mean, it's I was awesome. gonna say this is cat. <laughs> yeah, this is cat all over again. Yeah, <laughs> that the name though. I was just gonna say maybe we should have named it cat, but then it sounds kind of like masterpiece theater. Like it's very you know contemporary American thought. <laughs> your host Zach Began. Like it's very you know austere kind of sounding. But it sounds very proper, right? Yeah. Very posh. Yeah. 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 That'd be funny. All right, so um, is it final question time, Zach? Sure, we can have a final question. Do you have a final question? What is your favorite book on that shelf behind you, and um, why? That's a good question. Uh, let's see. Uh, there, I'd, I'd pick two books. Um, I'm going to pick uh, my copy of The Teen. And then probably. I miss, I miss, can you face the mic and say that one again? I, I miss what was no called. Words. Uh, I'll pick two. All right. If I can pick them up. <laughs> <laughs> I swear, guys, I'm not drunk. Um, so, my copy of The Tame, the translation. This is the earliest writings of ancient Celtic. Uh, Oh, oh, wow. literature. Cool. And then uh, the book of English magic by Philip Nolan Marr. And now, oh. is that about magic? Like magic? Yeah. Tips? So it talks about the history of England and its uh, magical beliefs. And it goes into like details on each chapter, which is really fun because you go know, all the way from like prehistoric times to more contemporary. And yet an interesting history too as to why it resurged. Really? So what kind of so what if would if, okay, so the, the original magic they were practicing in the book that the book goes over, what kind of religion was that tied to? Or if it so, was Yeah. Um we we actually don't I don't think we actually know the names of these religions. I think it's just because the cultures either didn't write it down um, mm -hmm. or they didn't really think about naming their religion anything. Um, yeah. So the earliest... So it's just like old English mythology is what you would call it pretty much? Yeah, that'd, that'd be the best way to call it. 
Um, cause some of these things go all the way back. It's, it's not, it's not in this book. This more, more recently, um, I started finding some of this on like lost cities with Albert Lynn. Uh, but some of it goes all the way back to like hunter gatherer days, uh, during cave okay. era. Um, dude, could you imagine being a magician in the, in that time? Like, you know, <laughs> that must've been, you must've oh, been the like, closest thing to a God. Right? Dude, you got all the cave women, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. like if you can do a card <laughs> trick with flat rocks or something like that. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Um, so is that, is that more to do with like divination? And like trying to read like casting runes and things like that. that that's one part of it. It's one part of it. Uh, there's multiple okay. languages that have used runes. Uh, so the right. Celts used Ogum. Um, the Norse had Nordic runes. Those are the most popular runes. Right. Um, which, if you want somebody who's a really good source, uh, very dry but very informative, uh, Scott T. Shell, you can look him up. Um, uh, Germanic Continental Heathenry, I think is the YouTube channel, is what it's called. Okay. And he talks about, uh, from Germanic to Anglo Saxon to Norse runes. And, um, he even goes, so he talks about the rituals. He talks about the history. Um, he talks about the evolution of runes. And then for, people who are interested in practicing or believe in this stuff, how to create your own runes. And okay. yeah. Uh, so that's an extent, that's a very extensive history. Um, it talks about, cause Ralph Bloom, he wrote the first, I think it was the very first on writing runes. And uh, there's a lot of information he did that was very inaccurate for the time. Um, so he's just making shit up like Tolkien style. <laughs> I don't know if he was making it up. I think it was just like the archaeology of the time. Because in the 1800s, yeah. when this kind of material first came up, when people started having a serious interest in it, um, people were just going off of what they could find. We don't, we don't, we didn't have the archaeology like we do nowadays. Sure. Or yeah. archaeologists went somewhere. They didn't have the resources or availability to go ahead and do uh, the kind of work that we can do now. So they would just kind of throw something at the wall. Um, controversially, in Egypt, uh, the whole belief that King Khufu made, um, made the pyramids, that was just something that some guy kind of ripped. He's like, I have no idea, but I see King Khufu's name come up a lot. So he just went with that. That's crazy. He didn't really have yeah, any evidence, but he's just like, "All right, we'll just do, we'll just go with that." Um, that was yeah. a prime case. The leading but, theory. Yeah, I think Ralph. I think Ralph tried his best, but there's a lot that's very inaccurate in his book. Um, and uh, in the book of English magic that's talked about, um, Scott Shell talks about it. Um, so. Yeah, that, that is one of the things that's talked about. That is divination. Um, if you read, if people read uh, the sagas, uh, the saga of Egil particularly talks about runes and rune making a lot. Mm. That's that's a lot of divination. But there's other things in this as well. Um, so there's the talk of uh, protective magics, 
like taking an iron circle and then wrapping hemlock around it. And that will protect your, and if you bury it, it'll protect your property from thieves. Um, That's pretty cool. There's the belief of warding off evil by placing iron nails in all four corners of your house. Um, Because ancient people believed that iron warded off evil. Evil didn't like that. Uh, Or spirits didn't like that. Right. Um, That's why there's some people that write very clear instructions. Do not use iron to carve uh, runes. Um, there's, there's a few other things, uh, that very little bit talks about, uh, geomancy, uh, which is the belief you could use, you could manipulate the ground for teleportation, the earth for teleportation, which is in a lot of Celtic myths. And funny enough, some of the Celtic myths, uh, do parallel to our leading theories on wormholes. Really? Like with fairies and different, like the fey realm and stuff like that? Um, not necessarily the fey realm, because fairies was like a general term for things that are unseen. Right. Um, and the, 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 they believed in things like fairy circles. Um, there are certain spots on the ground uh that things unseen from other worlds can come through um they believed certain times of the year um around the what we call the autumn equinox and the spring equinox uh those are the times of the year where somebody could potentially open up a wormhole according to their beliefs oh, man, and, that'd be weird wormholes were like weather yeah 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 the Celts believed in a lot there's there's some very interesting stuff they believed in uh certain times of year but they, they also had like their whole religious beliefs were based around nature and the seasons um if you look at the european pagan calendar they had eight seasons um there were two harvests in the year one started in july and went till some point in august and they had a second harvest and that was september starting and getting into the start of october and then this time of year uh october november start of december was um it really it's some a lot of people call it Samhain. it's spelled s-a-m-h-a-i-n uh my great-grandmother called it samane and yeah. yeah so this was like the the pagan new year. Um, okay. And then it, there's, there like what Halloween turned into for our modern, modern culture. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, winter nights as the Vikings called it. The Norse called it. Um, it was all based around the seasons and they believed that certain times of the year, um, that's when worlds crossed over. So they believed at this time of the year was when uh, the veil between our world and the veil between the world of spirits or the fairy world, with much more generalized term for it, um, crossed over. And so this is where you can see your ancestors. This is where you could go to other worlds, potentially. 
and it remained open until the springtime. And that was when the veil began uh, to um, thicken again. That's a long window. Yeah. But, I mean, they were really superstitious people. They, they feared uh, this, uh, you know, the cold half of the year for religious yeah. purposes. I mean, they believed, and I mean, it also, you know, it makes sense. I mean, if you never seen a screeching owl or a fish cat before and you hear it screaming in the middle of the night, I mean, no wonder you'd think that's a banshee or something <laughs> <laughs> terrifying. So yeah, they believed in things like that. And another thing too is what they feared too with uh, the snow being on the ground is if, um, you were to fall asleep or step the wrong way, um, you would step on a fairy circle. I mean, they knew how to identify uh, what they believed were fairy circles and spots that could take you into other worlds. Um, and so uh, that would make sense. You can't really see the ground. It's covered in snow. You don't know where you're stepping. You don't know what you're stepping on. You don't know if the snow is thin or thick. You don't know if the ice is thin or thick. Yeah, like it, it's like an accidental safety precaution yep. for walking in the wild. And yeah, no, it's, I remember when I was a surveyor, like I had to actually think about stuff like that because I've fallen into like snow banks and other shit. And I didn't know what was going <laughs> on. You know I mean? Yeah, like, exactly. Know, it's like, oh, yeah, man. Was Mark. Bye, buddy. <laughs> like, you know, you see, you see like a rod, it looks like, you know, like. It's like, you know, Planet Hoff or whatever from Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. It's like a little droid top going by. It's like, oh, he's still alive. Okay. That's oh, he's good. still alive. You know. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of that stuff's very uh, fascinating to me. I think it's cool. Yeah. yeah. And, and like what? Our modern fantasy lore in video games is like pretty much based on it. Yeah. So we're kind of exposed to it all the time. If you're, especially if you're like us, if you're a gamer or whatever. Yeah. You know, or even if you you know, like, you know marvel movies and dc movies a lot of that they borrow that's where they borrow all their shit from pretty much even the superpowers that a lot of the characters have are you know from ancient mythos and yeah, gods right. like yeah, what is the hulk but colon <laughs> yeah i mean it's a little more uh it's a little more niceified <laughs> than than the yeah no it definitely yeah it's made pg for sure i mean especially with like some mythologies definitely i mean it's like mother goose right the, the mother goose books that i grew up on are not the real mother goose stories if you go you know read like grim tales and stuff like that you're gonna see like this shit is not this is like rated r man like this is vile you know i know <laughs> and that's what they used it. to read the kids yeah <laughs> like don't go no, to the woods I, you'll get chopped up into pieces by a wolf <laughs> yeah or get kidnapped and eaten alive or baked alive it's like yeah that would probably stop me from going out in the woods if i believe that you know yeah, yeah. But things like that used to happen. It's crazy. There's a bunch of crazy shit that used to go on. Look, even in our modern society, I've seen like policemen talk about this on certain documentaries. Like, basically, I don't remember the numbers exactly anymore, but basically, it's really low the number of cases, like violent cases, that get solved, right? And those are just the ones that they get reported. So really, most people are getting away with shit in our society. We don't we don't think about that on a day to day basis. But that's what's really going on. Most crime people get away with. Yeah. So imagine a time when there when there were no phones, there were no yeah, lights, no there were no cameras, there was no constant presence of law. Like it was you and your pitchfork, man. You know, like whatever you had. Yeah. So yeah, you had you had to think up shit to scare people away from you. You know. 
Especially in it, you know, the advantage too is like if you lived in a time where thieves and criminals did believe what you believed, right? So if if a criminal did believe that iron and hemlock would, you know, do something terrible to him, maybe he wouldn't invade your home. You know what I mean? Like a modern criminal wouldn't think that way. <laughs> but like it, maybe it did work to the advantage for time. There must have been a time at least when well, yeah, everybody I was mean, on the they, same they page. They say with like curses, the way that it works, like especially like with voodoo, it's yeah. not that that voodoo is necessarily real. It's that they believe it to be real so it takes effect it's the same right. thing as like a placebo effect kind of yeah thing. exactly yeah. but i mean another thing too like if you use voodoo as an example the the poison that's made um yeah that people believe uh make zombies i mean can you imagine like a time where people knew herbs and roots so well they could make something like that that's a good quote yeah that's a good thought like we have this, at least I know I've had this perception or, or this presumption that modern medicine figured it all out, but there have been herbalists and alchemists for, you know, since there've been man pretty much. So there were people that knew the medicinal effects of certain combinations of things found in nature, you know, and really it's, they're the experts we learned, we stole, we're the, we're the Edison's, we're modern Edison's of that. Yeah. So yeah, yeah that I think, I even think like, um, it's too bad that I feel like not only does holistic healing or holistic knowledge get a bad rap, but there is a lot of it that is just total woo-woo, you know? Oh, yeah. That is just really not real. But there are definitely some there, there are definitely some good things in, like, holistic healing. I, and I really, the healing takes place in your body anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's where things, that's where you cure you. <laughs> There's nothing really that you take that cures you, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that's what... That's what a lot of people say about addicts as well. It's like you don't get better until you yeah. decide you want to get better. You don't get over the right. side. Yeah. And no, yeah, I think your mentality is part of the healing process. Yeah. You know, and that's what I yeah. And that's what fast drew me initially to magic is like how how can you, you know, get someone Cheryl Costa writes this has this book called The Writings of a Rogue Witch. And she just point blank gets, gets right to it and says, it's like, look, you really want to like resolve these problems you have. You have, you have to do these rituals that make you every day get out and address the problem. Mm -hmm. and you don't get better until you do it. And that's, and that's what to me is really cool about wanting to do like right now, I'm trying to do a documentary on uh, witchcraft. I started it. Um, and, uh, you know, you talk to any of the old timers, um, you know, Lori Bruno, Lori Cabot, they're, <clears throat> I mean, they're pretty rigid, but they got a point to it. They're the ones that are like, no, you have to get out and you have to do this. You have to address the problem. And they call people out on their BS all the time. <laughs> no, well, if you think about, no, I agree. And if really, if you think about it, we just rename shit right? We rename yeah. spells with psychology, you know what I mean? Or ritual or what, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like a lot of what yeah, we believe received. is just renamed. It's, it's still just a magic trick to us. You know what I mean? In, in terms of like, um, practice, yeah. you know, what we believe it can do, you know, bad or good. Or it's but, taken. Um, yeah. Or it's taken and like restructured in a way yeah. to sell something to someone. Exactly. Yeah. There's a lot of modern snake oil, I feel, that that is just so well marketed to us. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Like food, everything is just oh, yeah. made to look like like a 
you like some galactic committee got together to make sure Ritz crackers are safe for your children. So put them in everything. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. like you just <laughs> made to trust. Yeah, like how yeah. could you doubt the fact that this food is, you know, ignore that it's banned in other countries. <laughs> it's safe and good for you too. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't mean to have like that fifties announcer voice, but that's just kind of how it is in my head. You know, it's like Ren and Stimpy. Yeah, they, they mock that so well, you know, like <laughs> powdered toast man. So, all right, so um, should we do a final thought? Sure. Before we close the episode, yeah. all right. Um, tomorrow morning, if uh, let's say tomorrow morning you wake up to uh, a microphone to the world, the podium to the world, and everybody's silent, waiting to hear what you have to say. What would you say to the world? Oh man, sounds like something I'd ask at the end of Bard's archive. <clears throat> um, you know, get out there, ex explore, explore life, explore the world in your own way. And it's not a matter of uh, always reaching a means to an end or proving something or being the person that discovers something. Uh, Sometimes it's just a matter of getting out there and enjoying yourself in the moment, doing what it is that you're doing. Either if it's, you know, history or religion or sports or whatever it is that you do, as long as you are enjoying and uh, content with what it is that you're doing is what matters, uh, as well as don't throw your history away. Don't ignore other people's stories. Listen to each other. Love each other. Peace, not war. <laughs>